you know, going from tennis to TV to Princeton to tech to all these things, it, it's painful. Growth is always painful. Um, but then it's also so beautiful. There is going to be a point, though, where you realize that this can't be everything. And once I have gotten what I was supposed to get, what's next? In this world, there are more people that operate from a place of fear than they do of love and freedom. If the destination is not the journey, then you are really setting yourself up for depression, anxiety disorders, and sadness. Um, unfortunately, the way that most sports work is the destination is not the journey. The destination is the win. Welcome back, everybody, to the Evolving Door podcast. This is episode number 17. It's with an extraordinary um, lady called Sheikha Uberoy. She took part in my film, which was called Road to Vrindavan. It's now called A Girl Can Touch the Sky. She is one of five sisters, uh, all Indian um, girls born in an Indian family. And it's its own challenges in itself, which we get into. Um, but born in America... All of them incredibly high achieving, you know, went to Princeton and Brown and all these amazing universities. Shika herself was in the top 100 players in the whole world. She was India's number one professional tennis player. She's also gone on to do incredible things in the fields of media, TV um, and tech. And her sisters have also done amazing things. So she's a really um, amazing um, person to hear from. So um, if you haven't already rated and uh, the podcast, please do on Apple Podcasts. We have 27 ratings so far. Let's try and get it to 50. Um, and please do make sure to like and subscribe and share because we're trying to really grow our audience so we can get um, better and better guests. We recorded this podcast uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, it got delayed as as a couple of the recent ones have because of releasing the documentary. So I'm delighted to be bringing it to you now. Let's dive straight in. Welcome back, everybody, to the Evolving Door podcast. This is the podcast where I talk to really interesting people about the moments in their lives where they really had a shift in their thinking, their understanding, and their awareness about life. Um, today is a very special guest. Um, somebody that I met um, three or four years ago through our mutual kind of impact filmmaking work. And then we worked together uh, on the Road to Vrindavan documentary that I've just finished. She's a really amazing person, uh, Sheikha Uberoi. I'm just going to read a little bit about her background because there's so many different things that she's, she's doing. So she's a vice president of business development and partnerships at Indie.com, which is a global video platform enabling engagement and sales for e-retailers and brands. But she also creates and produces feature film and digital television formats for her media company, Impact Media 360, which is really about endeavoring to mainstream social change through programs with purpose. She also mentors, advises, and serves as a trustee for lots of different startups in a range of sectors. And she's currently mentoring uh, entrepreneurs for organizations like Facebook, She Leads Tech, Encode, and Round Glass. Now, prior to her sort of business career, if you like, she was a professional tennis player and she was India's number one professional tennis player. She reached the top 100 on the world tour and she also won a silver medal for India at the Asian Games. She's one of India's top 10 most glamorous athletes and <laughs> the one of the world's what? top 10 fastest servers, um, which is pretty amazing. She's also graduated from Princeton University with a BA in Anthropology and South Asian Studies. 
And she also won an award at Princeton prestigious Kit Harris Memorial Award for Leadership and Ethics. So today she's an impact entrepreneur, passionately engaged with women's self-empowerment and leadership, social entrepreneurship, female empowerment through sport, e-commerce and content creation. So a big welcome to you, Shike. Thank you very much, Revenal. <laughs> that was quite a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took a little while, but it's, it's a testament yeah. to, to all the different things that you've done. So I wanted to kind of yeah. dive in, uh, I guess, um, with with tennis, and then we'll kind of branch out uh, into different different areas. But um, what was your best moment in tennis that you can remember? <laughs> best moment in tennis, I think. Actually, they still happen whenever I get to play. Mm -hmm. It's just the feeling of striking a backhand down the line winner. <laughs> um, coming up to the net and putting away a volley uh, right after after a return of serve. Um, it, I think those are the best moments in tennis uh, that kind of maintain a love for the sport or, or an appreciation for a skill set that you, know, you work really hard to develop. I think... I think when you look back, I think that's what it actually comes down to because there's so many wins and losses along the way. You can't really pick and choose mm. which one meant the most because every every win or loss feels the best and then hurts the most, you know. So I think what's in between is what stays current and it's the those feelings of, of happiness that the game can provide. Amazing. Yeah, because it's it's uh, it's a sport uh, on the world stage where it is very much you're you're on your own when you play tennis, obviously, unless you're doing doubles. Um, and so yeah. I guess yeah, then the victories are massive, you know. It's uh, but then I guess the, we saw recently that um, tennis player who who's a very good like high level tennis player, but was you know didn't want to do the press interview, um, and and that's a very topical thing at the moment. Yeah. So. Just talk to us briefly about, well, I was going to ask you what was your worst moment in tennis, but maybe that will, you can wrap that up in kind of like, what's the experience uh, of being in yeah. a sport where you're on your own? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, Naomi um, spoke to, I think, every athlete, not just tennis players and not just women tennis players that I feel maybe tend to resonate with the strain, the pressures and pain that associates with the game that people overlook um, more than normal. And you hit the nail on the head, Revenal. It's not necessarily a team sport. Of course, you're playing doubles. If you want, you can change your partner every other week there, unless you are a doubles specialist, right? Mm. Um, but still, the experience or the infrastructure around the game is set up for loneliness, social anxiety disorders, depressions. Um, when Naomi Osaka said, you know, she's struggling with depression, my response was, which professional tennis player is not struggling with depress depression? Mm -hmm. Right? I, I That is the way to look at it. Um, I'm opening up a can of worms that, you know, bottled up for a business, for an industry, for a lot of people, for a dream, for a lot of hype around that dream. And I don't mean to ruffle any feathers with that statement, but I think anybody who has looked into the world of professional sports 
has to understand that it is skewed towards almost a perversion to the point where everything you do is about maintaining and or reaching number one in the world, a certain goal. You have to be off a little bit to, to want something like that. There is going to be a point, though, where you realize that this can't be everything. And once I have gotten what I was supposed to get, what's next? Mm. Like, what do I have to do? Oh, no, I have to maintain this? That's an enormous amount of pressure. Mm. And it can um, also be a very depressing thought. I don't know. Like, this is what I've worked to be. I, I got it. Now what? That's it? Yeah. There is this expectation that, you know, like those emojis where you see all that celebration and, you know, confetti and things like that, that you're going to live in that space forever because maybe you want a grand slam or maybe you want a, a $5,000 event, whatever it is, wherever you are in your definition of what that success is supposed to be. It, it's just momentary. It's gone. The minute you finish that point and you shake hands, it's done. You're already thinking about the next. So it's kind of like you can never chase or have this peace or this sense of relief or that you made it, that you did it for longer than that instant. Mm. So if the destination is not the journey, then you are really setting yourself up for depression, anxiety disorders, and sadness. Um, unfortunately, the way that most sports work is the destination is not the journey. The destination is the win. Mm. And that is reinforced over and over from the time you're a tiny tot holding a racket and, or a little gymnast, you know, stretching at two or three years old, whatever it is you're doing, you're just taught that the ultimate expression and the best possible version of yourself is when you win. It's so condition-based. So what happens if you don't get it? A, what happens when you do get it? You're going to lose the situation. That's the conundrum <laughs> that that I'm glad Naomi is talking about or trying to express. Yeah. It's an infrastructure issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because as you say, that type of mentality, I mean, is obviously very magnified uh, in professional sport, um, but it doesn't, it's not even just for athletes. It, it starts uh with every parent uh, or not every or most parents, you know, the whole world is geared up like that, isn't it? Pretty much. Um, and it's also interesting because like, um, you know, I've always loved watching tennis as well. And, you know, currently you can see someone like Djokovic who's like dominating like anything, but what we forget, I, at least I forget is that within, I mean, I'm sure he's even still faces that same challenge, you know, but what to speak of the hundreds, maybe thousands of, um, of athletes who um, have pretty much dedicated their a large part of their life, and we'll learn that more from you what goes into it in a minute, um, to to get there, and who I would say never win. Of course, they win at some, and, and probably they win at lots of levels. But as you rise up higher, then you get to a point where you're not always winning anymore, where you were at the lower level, um, and so that has to be incredibly hard. You know, maybe knowing that you gave 10, 15, maybe 20 years, and you, according to your measurement, never made it kind of thing, you know? Beyond debilitating, grappling with that, mm -hmm. um, first of all, trying to unlearn the definition of success um, is, I think, the, the hardest part, especially for athletes who are trained to grip into never give up, right? 
Um, and that's both true and stupid at the same time, right? Um, it's like saying never cry. And the thing yeah. is, is that there is a time to never give up, right? And there is a time to say, this is stupid. I'm not making sense of my life right now. I need to put it on hold or I need to transition this energy and this motivation into something else. So what you're doing is transferring a medium of expression while not giving up, right? That's how I've navigated that. You know, mm. and it's, and I can guarantee you there's probably an 18, 19 year old on the tour, maybe trying to make it on the tour right now. They'd be like, what did she, she gave up? That's so stupid, right? Like, what did, why, why did she give up? That was so dumb. Or, um, mm. um, or, and there's a coach that's reinforcing that. But mm. so long as you have these very skewed definitions of yourself, as well as what success means in the process of being a young adult trying to find your own identity trying to make sense of the world and having a whole bunch of usually men telling you what success is supposed to be who you're supposed to be how you're supposed to be and when when you can feel good about yourself that's the hardest mm. that last one so I don't really think happens to males as much as it does to females. This is when you can feel good about yourself. When you when you're at a certain weight, when you look a certain way, when you win a certain something, when you bring in X amount of financial support to the family. That is when you can mm. feel good enough. Then wow. you go into the next level. So that's the thing. <laughs> Here's another part to this, Ravenal. Once you've gotten to phase one, there's a thousand phases. They don't tell you that part. Yes, we did it. Oh, wait, there's another level of this game. There's another level of this game. And even when you win the whole game, you've got to now maintain the whole game. So unless there is two things, you got to have two things. A really, really unconditional sense of self that is founded on love, and confidence that you, no win or loss can actually affect your, you're so, you're neutral, like a yogi. Cool, I won today, cool, I lost today. Let's go, let's go train, let's go have a drink, whatever it is. And then B, yeah, which goes with A, is that no result impacts what you feel about yourself. Your identity is not what you do day to day. That's a very high level. I mean, I agree with you, obviously, 100%. But that's something that, you know, it's more in the conversation these days, you know, even amongst, let's say, you know, lay people, everyone's thinking about, you know, things like meditation, mm -hmm. uh, wellness, mental health, etc. Um, and as you say, like a yogi, it does explain that, you know, that to try and be equipoised in happiness or distress and grounded in a deeper sense of self and so on. But in practice, that that is also quite a, um, an evolved state, and especially as you say, for a young person. Um, just give us a little bit of the arc, you know, you about how you kind of came into tennis, because obviously you had a fire and a drive to to do it and to succeed. 
And when maybe did that, um, did you start to go through that phase where some of these questions were coming in your mind and you, you eventually, let's say, whether we call it gave up or moved on or whatever, how, what was that sort of arc like? Yeah, so we, we talk about when I stepped into the evolving door. <laughs> it usually starts, you know, like Dante, Dante's Inferno, you know, you got to go down, you got to descend to ascend. I think St. Augustine said that. So I think um, <clears throat> what happens is, is what happened in my point, right, at, at, at my juncture there was the redundancy. You know, it was getting so repetitively, like, mundane and almost silly like okay so today i beat this person and i won this tournament and then the next week i lost to some other player and like wow this is going to be my world like this is going to be my life today i am better than somebody and they are better than me the next which again is the wrong way to think about it right but i'm like i'm chasing a fuzzy yellow ball from one corner of the world to the next and as much as I loved the game, it you know, you, you played it so much that <clears throat> I guess it didn't was not continued to staying in love with it, you know, to the point where that could sustain me. Like that part was fun, playing the same people or a different person. And I was like, what is this doing for humanity? What is this doing for the world? Like this mission that I brought into myself that, that I grew up with is like, there is a larger... What was the mission? Yeah. What was your goal? What yeah, was... exactly. So, I mean, I, I have to express that being Indian, being from the Dharmic traditions, you know, being Hindu Sikh, a large part of our upbringing was very much around seva, which is the concept of selfless service. And mm. being Indian girls, you know, we're talking about my sisters and I, um, yeah. The whole point was, wow, you were probably going to be the one of the first couple batches, especially coming out of the U.S. also, um, to be doing really well in this sport. You're not an engineer or a doctor or going to go do a Bollywood movie. You're doing something that is very unusual. And I didn't really have that top of mind, but I think on some level my parents had to because of how much flack my dad got. for <laughs> like, why are you... Daughters going around in short skirts playing tennis all over the world. And who's going to marry them? And look how dark their skin is getting. And you hear that kind of stuff all the time. Like, are they studying? How can they be studying and doing this? And he's like, you're making straight A's. And they have amazing legs because they work so hard in the gym. You know, <laughs> that's what he, he stood up for, you know. And that was not so easy on him. And so this whole point of this is not just about you this is about indian girls everywhere this is about anybody who identifies as doing something different or unusual so this purpose about putting india on the map for indian women of the diaspora and girls um having a foundation I, that was what a large part of this was about but when i didn't feel a direct connect when you're just slogging out in some really small little town and you know, losing to a player that you know you should be beating over and over again. At a point, it starts to get like, I'm not moving this needle forward. This mission is not really something I can connect or relate to. How is this connecting? How am I moving the needle of humanity forward by playing tennis? It's an entirely selfish sport. So in that time, Ravenel, I was, I, I, I was getting more excited about television. 
believe it or not. And I had still have my journal um, where I would journal all these ideas for shows. And I got, I was usually on the other side of the camera, like being interviewed. But what was exciting to me was the other side, right? Who gets to tell the story, right? And I wanted to get into that. And so I would stay up till three in the morning, you know, before training and things like that, ideating and journaling. And that was getting me up out of bed in the morning. That was getting me excited to finish off training so I can get back to this journal. So once I understood that, there was a shift. I basically had entered into the evolving door at that point. So this frustration kind of shifted into a, a focus of what else I was interested in doing in life. What other things can I do? that means something to humanity in a direct way. Yeah, there was something I read an article um, just doing a bit of research and I found it really interesting because you mentioned you were going through a lot of um, turmoil internally um, and the way in which you sought to make sense of that or to, uh, let's say, um, transform that was to reach out and connect with the world outside of yourself. So it's, I thought that was very interesting because oftentimes we hear about people who are so absorbed in the outside world that they then go inward. And I think you were describing sort of being yeah. so caught up with yourself and in your in, inner sort of, let's say self-absorption that actually reaching out and engaging and connecting with the outside world really helped pull you out of that and give you uh, a next chapter, which is, could you tell us a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. That's that's a good point. Yeah, I, I didn't get stuck in myself. Um, I think my way out was um, who else is who else can move the needle forward faster and stronger? Who else can join this force? You know, I, I'm looking back on it, I'm able to put a sentence around it now today. But that's where I was then. Like, wait a minute. There's so many cricketers and, and, and athletes in India and celebrities. Like what, are, what are they doing? You know, is it just me for this and Neha and my sisters around this whole thing for Indian women and, and girls to, to step up? Or what, what's everybody else's goal? Is it just money for them? Is it just they love the sport that much? But hang on. So what happened was I, I created this little campaign. Um, this is right when social media was actually coming up. Uh, and it was called I'm Hot are you and that was i'm helping others today you know are you in your yeah, small capacity or big capacity and i reached out mm. to all the indian athletes that i knew and the celebrities that i knew uh, to say hey let's do something about this that slowly mm. moved into other issues um i was very frustrated around the the skin whitening you know and, and just the yeah. whole colonial hangover effect of white skin is so important and shows that you're smarter or better than somebody um, fairer skin right and so and I hated I really really hated the the need for something like a fair and lovely in society so I said I, I'm I'm uh, I have a cream and it's it, it lives inside me it's called brown and bold and I, I started another campaign called brown and bold and what happened was as I as I realized that there's this fire to to do something more directly than indirectly with a tennis racket and a tennis ball, just a flow and flood of these ideas and, and feelings that I've had for so long just erupted. And now there was social media and then there was an opportunity to go back to college. 
and strengthen that and put a foundation and packaging around how to operate now in the world without a tennis racket and a tennis ball um, and put mm. that same drive in to anything that I believe in. So that was a big step, you know, coming out of tennis. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I think I can relate somewhat you know, whether it's people coming out of the army or people coming out of professional sports. I also spent seven years as a monk, you know, coming out of being a monk. It, it, you're coming out of something that was all consuming. Like it wasn't just something you did, at, you know, nine to five or whatever. It was like a complete way of life. And I, I'd love you for you to share. I mean, I was reading in one article, you know, you used a beautiful fire analogy of how, you know, you had this burning fire inside of you and it was your passion and everything. And the analogy of when a fire kind of then burns itself out and the triumph of reigniting it again. Um, I found the transition from being a monk and then going out into the world of work, um, you know, especially I could see looking back, um, challenging, you know, I mean, obviously we're, we're fortunate to be able to look back and, you know, see that it all worked out well, but it was quite a transition. Just, could you just share a few words about the kind of, because it, it might, viewers or people listening might think it was just a completely smooth transition, you know, from one to the other, you hop from one into the other, but like, what was the kind of emotions through all that? Yeah, wretched. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it's very confusing. You're almost indoctrinated to believe a certain reality, you know? Um, yeah. And some of it is, is doesn't serve you anymore. And parting ways with that is like literally like losing a part of yourself or a, a whole identity in some cases. And so you are mm. almost like, like a snake trying to shed skin, but more than that, it's like you're birthing another snake, you know, kind of a thing at the same time. Sorry, I can't think of a better analogy for late night last <laughs> But I, I, I feel like um, um, it's so important to not glamorize, like, oh, you know, and, and when you read you know, this beautiful introduction, what we want to talk about is the pain and the difficulty in between each of those. And that's the you know point of evolving door here. Um, you know, going from tennis to TV to Princeton to tech to all these things. It's, it's painful. Growth is always painful. Um, but then it's also so beautiful, right? Um, mm. So the, the sense of loss, um, the mind prepared to move on, but the body still remembering things, right? Um, and then vice versa. The body's like, also like, hey, we, we, let's go, let's do something else. But then the mind wants to stay in a certain spot. You know, the other day, Vivianchi and I, my husband and I, we were having lunch and there was this beautiful documentary on Rafa Nadal playing, you know, in the back. And I, 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 I couldn't just help but just continue to look there. And I'm trying to be like, this is my life now. This is my husband. We're having a beautiful lunch here. But going up there and then screaming, oh, Look at this documentary. It's so well done. But this is what it is, Divyanj. We used to look up as little girls at these documentaries and think about this beautiful, glamorous life, and they suckered us all in for this expectation, you know. And look at this all the time. And he's like, "Okay, I get it. Like, let's, let's have this dumpling." <laughs> you know, like, yeah, <laughs> you know. So that these are things that you still 
the mind is so strong and it wants to hold on to something that's been so conditioned and trained. So ripping yourself away from that, whoo, it's, it's very much that band-aid analogy. You got to do it fast and just dive in and hope mm. for the best. Luckily, mm. I had something as phenomenal as Princeton University to go back to. Um, yeah. Brilliant friends, loving and caring family, and best of all, a sister who was going through the exact same thing in her way, which I think is the biggest blessing uh, to have my sister, to have somebody you know have such a similar life to be able to reflect and to look look into and be there for her and stand up when I could barely stand up and be like, no, are we, we're good. We got this. Come on, let's go. Go to class. Show up. Let's go. You know, I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing either, you know, but th- those were, those were times, examples of times where that sisterhood was, is so strong in our family. And is that uh, Neha? The... That's Neha. Yeah, that's Neha. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, because just for for people listening, so um, my wife Tina is one of three girls, but you're one of five girls. Yes, and we'll talk a bit in a in a little while about you know some of the the context of that within an Indian family and yeah. community. Yeah. Um, but but Neha was, uh, I mean, all of your sisters played tennis, but you you were sort of the one that that went the furthest. But she was also pretty good. I I noticed that oh, you. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up. She, you you lost to Neha at the Hyderabad Open 2004. How did that feel? Oh, that was a very. <laughs> Can you remember? Yeah, it was, and I don't think I lost to her since then. She <laughs> yeah. things like that. Like it's a statement like that. That's my own sister, but it's that competitive nature of me this week. I haven't lost her since then. Sorry, I have to say that here. Yeah, I don't think I can beat her. But um, I think. But she was also pretty good then. Like you were, you were better. But like she was obviously to a high standard as well. So the thing is, when we say better or worse, those are numbers and rankings, right? But Nan and I were very yeah. much right next to each other, um, and some of the, the the assets she had on the court were things I can only dream about having. And her forehand was insane. Her foot speed, mm. um, or I mean, just her tenacity, and some of the things she's gone through uh, on the tour. I mean, I. I mean, it's it's remarkable. We're two sisters. We look a lot alike. You know, we have the same parents, all of that. But it's it's, it's almost like a different player. Um, and so we paired really well together in doubles. And um, yeah, yeah, you, you did really well. And at yeah. that level, it's just it's just numbers. You know, okay, you had a better week one week than next. She's a phenomenal player. She still is. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. And so, um, what was it like? Um, you know, you grew up in America. You grew up in Princeton, right? That was the area where you lived as well, right? Is that yes. Right? Grew up in Princeton, between Princeton and Bombay. Yeah. Okay. And so what was the kind of, I don't know, uh, you can tell us what age you got into tennis, but what was it like being, say, a five-year-old Chica with your sisters and everything growing up? What was what were some of the things, like, how, what was your sense of identity? What were some of your loves and some of your challenges? Yeah. Um... I think, uh, uh, which maybe you can still see today, is that there's a very kind of happy nature, um, which is just a product of winning a parent lottery. Uh, I think all of us, all five of us, we, we actually, I mean, I, I, I don't say this without meaning this. I, I believe I have the greatest parent in the world. Mm. They have their faults. We're human. We all have faults. But and um, the proof in that is in their children. If you look at um, my older sister, she's a PhD. 
she's a basically we found her she's a professional student and she's doing her postdoc yeah. now um and where she's come from and how much effort she had to put into school for a variety of different reasons cambridge grad on top of that also a lawyer uh yeah and played you know um tennis at vassar number one um and you read my bio so we're going to talk about me neha um i'm going to go on for a book about my sister neha um she has two ivy league degrees two beautiful children her own nonprofit, and running um you know her master's in social work she's starting her work there you should see the kind of food she cooks and how fast she does and then the twins nikita and nimita but let me put them apart because they're two different people nikita is brilliant she's the only one of all of all of us sisters who has a major in uh majored in um, science science degree all of us are liberal arts majors um she played top tennis at brown um and she's training currently in china to pursue her dream of tennis in a very very constructive and healthy way i'm so proud of her Amazing. because of her love of the game i don't care what she does what numbers whatever she produces that's incidental that's secondary what she's pursuing is herself her best possible self and she loves herself very very much and then nimi um my young this our younger twin also played tennis at brown uh was uh one of the managers at the the clinton campaign went on to be of of mid-level to leadership if you will at the obama foundation and now is working at the nsc in the white house under the biden administration amazing yeah so yeah i say i have the best parents i i'm I'm uh I have the greatest parents and and what what it was like to answer your question I needed to say that um because you know we we are a product of our, of our upbringing to a large degree um but they provided everything they provide everything for us and the biggest thing that my father especially provides is a mentality of you can do anything you want in the world don't ever ever put any limitation on yourself. And that I think is one of the best blessings I've ever had. So that free flowing happy nature, go get it, go get what you want in nature, be around. That's how I grew up. That's how all of us grew up. It didn't matter if we were in Bombay, in New Jersey, in Florida. We were on a limitless mission of living an awesome life. A lot of discipline and tough days, not going to lie about that. But with parents that just um want everything for us, you know. So that mm. so that's amazing. That should uh give you insight into a large part of who I am and what I stand for. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen I've seen that obviously in our our dealings and um you know, and um you know, we came in touch with each other initially through. I was filming our mutual friend Tom to to send um, some of his footage to India for your uh, TV program, The Real Deal, looking at social entrepreneurs and stuff. But then, we, when I was making my film Road to Vrindavan about girls' education in India, uh, I interview. Well, I spoke with you at a crucial point in the in the making of the film. Um, and you said a line to me, which which our conversation in New York then is actually in the film, which blew me away at the time. Um, and it was this concept that so I'd been challenged about being a man making a film like this. 
And I was talking to people like yourself around the world and sharing this and trying to understand it. And you made this point that if you educate um, a young girl, say in a rural village, and naturally her dreams and her aspirations and her belief in what could be possible for her life has now grown. Yet if the community and the people around her, like her decision makers, you know, which won't only be men, but often will be men, um, have not changed. And those men have not um, developed or moved on from the mindset that for so long has held girls back, then she's almost worse off. And what I thought was beautiful about that was you explained it in the rural context, but I, th I felt like you had kind of experienced it yourself in your incredibly privileged, you know, wealthy, educated American life because you had stood out and excelled in a culture and community where that was not always the norm for an Indian girl. Yeah. So just tell us, I mean, we can come to the film in a bit maybe, but just tell us about your experience of that in your own life. Oh, yeah. Um, and your dad, your the, the strength of your dad uh, against, as you said, many probably other voices to to give you that gift of belief. Yeah, I mean, that's the difference, I think. I think the difference is, is that no matter what I'll be doing, all of us, we will never, we can always do more because of that limitless vision our parents have for us, especially my dad. So there's a way to interpret that as pressure <laughs> and say, oh, we're not good enough, right? But there is a way that to hear that and see that as you are this limitless excellence. Go more, do, because there is no stopping you. And to know that your father as a young girl thinks that there is no limit to the heights that I can achieve. So I can never meet his limitation because he has no limitation on me. Mm. You believe that about yourself. The difference, what we're talking about is if you have a mentality, usually in a patriarchal space where there is a preconditioned limitation because society or whatever culture on a parent, let's say a father, and that is being transposed to a young girl. She is set to believe that she can, she can only go so far. She can only go to the vision that her father has of her, right? So it's capped. Mm. But now you take her out and you say, here is the rest of this world. Let's go to the United States and, you know, pursue tennis and, or, or, or an Ivy League degree. And this is what you can do. And then you bring her back to where there's this capped vision. She is like a fish out of water. She cannot relate to anybody because now you've shown her the universe. Like Krishna basically shows Arjuna the whole past, present, future. And she's like, wow, there's so much more. But then everybody in that village, not a single other person there can even relate. How can you even converse at that point? You have effectively empowered her into alienation. You've isolated her in a way. And that's kind of what, what we talk about there. And so the mm -hmm. thing is that 
we didn't have the component of having nobody to understand that. We had us five girls and, and our, both our parents. But we'd go back to home to India, Bombay, or even in, in Indian Desi society in the United States and, oh, your size not quite fitting you because your muscles are so big. And how can you all walk with a gait like this? Oh, because you're fat, right? Like, it was like <laughs> some of the fittest athletes in the world, but fat was the only thing that they understood. And fat w- was meant like you need to lose weight, right? Oh, so it's it's things like like that that you could see, but it would just it would be more like an irritant and like what? And it's annoying because it does hurt you, especially if it's coming from family. But it never crushed. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. And in your film, you talk about that whole community empowerment, so you don't crush. So you can give the wings, mm-hmm. but what's the point if you can't let them fly? Hey everybody, I hope you're really enjoying this conversation with Shika. This is my first advert that I'm putting into any of the um, podcasts. It's just a little quick um, plug for my documentary that I made that Shika talked about. Uh, It was called originally A Road to Vrindavan, but um, then when we got signed by the international sales distributor, um, we changed it to A Girl Can Touch the Sky. In the film, we explore all of these issues, but essentially the, the main concept is that Definitely uh, in places like India and many places, girls um, should uh, have the opportunity to be educated. But my film specifically focuses on if, they, if that's in place on its own without the community support and particularly the support of the men in the community as well, then potentially it's actually not complete and it potentially leads to more disturbance. So um, uh, the importance of a complete community approach and um, particularly meant to be involved in our own lives, supporting the women around us. So um, if you'd like to um, watch that film, at the moment you can go to uh, com um, and put your name there. Uh, you can share it with as many people as you want to. There's a waiting list we're, we're putting um, <clears throat> together so that as soon as it's available in different regions, we can let you know. Um, and... Um, Slight joke, but I'm deadly serious. <laughs> if uh, if any of you um, know anybody or you yourself work at Netflix or something like that, I think it's a really powerful film. It's very of its time, very important, particularly in, in terms of bringing in the component about men. And I think it would be perfect on a platform like Netflix where people anywhere can, can watch it. So please do get in touch. Okay, back to the show. You know? So yeah, exactly. that's the difference in the mentality and that upbringing and, and some of the stuff that I faced. But I all, we always had each other. You know, I had my sisters yeah. and my parents because they taught us to look past that. They saw that as more ignorance and they saw that as more they don't know. You know, mm. whatever. Just keep going on. Yeah, that's no, brilliant. Um, but what, what do you think, um, where do you think that, um, mindset has come from because as you said it's obviously it's people think oh well it's easy to understand that it might be there in rural India but it's I've seen it in high society oh, in sure. Mumbai I've seen it in England I've seen it in America um, is it just um, kind of well-meaning but it's expressed through fear is it uh, how do you make sense of that mindset when you come across it because um, it's not it's easy to pass it off as ignorance, 
but often it's um it's packaged and delivered in the name of culture tradition religion whatever so and it's it's harder or at least it's because of the whatever collective kudos of those things it's harder to pass it push it away because they're saying no no th these things have weight they're important so how do you make sense of of that being obviously from an indian background yeah i think it's entirely fear-based i um understand that the there in this world there are more people that operate from a place of fear than they do of love and freedom. Um, mm. Love and freedom is very is very difficult and very scary uh, to to work to operate from that space. Uh, but fear uh, is comfortable. <laughs> fear is nice and addicting, and and it kind of gives you these wonderful boundaries that you can stay in, and it makes sense of your world, and you know you you, you can just keep things nice and comfortable and close. And I think it works to protect a species. I think it has a place. It certainly does in my day, you know. But it also uh, it needs to be put in its place. Fear. It has a place. It does not run amok through the mind and your reality, right? Uh, so I think that ignorance is one thing. I definitely think it's a, a, a child. Or daughter or son of fear. Um, um, I think then the the whole cultural thing. Well, this is just culture to pass off certain limitate limiting uh, restrictions on a person because of their gender. Um, I think those are often scapegoats. Um, but there's also a level to understand that and a respect that that kind of way has worked and has protected folks. Mm. And what we want to be able to do is introduce the possibility of hey, both can coexist. Right? I think saying, no, 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 just to have this love and feels to let your children go out and do whatever is like a very aggressive and very actually stupid thing to try and do. But what your film so beautifully depicts is the coexistence. You can have two thoughts at the same time. You know? You can still give it a chance to let your daughter maybe study a little bit more. Feel free to feel afraid as long as you want to, but maybe let her not feel afraid for a day or two, you know, or a year or ten, yeah. you know. So I think yeah. I think that introduction of of you can allow yourself to remove yourself from the fear and try and trust a little bit more uh, is very difficult, and I say that with a lot of respect because people have had extremely difficult lives and they have every right to never trust anybody in their world again and want to protect and yeah. especially their daughters but what my yeah. hope is is that they can find the courage in them to try one more time to trust in humanity a little bit just a little bit for their daughters you know mm. that is a that is um a really important point and i think it's something that um you know i was it's easy to talk about these things. Um, and I guess that was one of the main points I was trying to make. It's a very euphoric idea, uh, especially for us who are not living the hardships, you know, whatever, to just go, yeah. I mean, tell me what you think about this, honestly, but kind of like, you know, girl power, you know, feel good, you know, fist in the, in the air. And, and and of course, we, we want that for girls and for, for boys and for all young people to really believe they can reach the sky and whatever. But 
Um, the reality of that, as you say, potentially if it's not, um, it could be reckless, if you know what I mean, if not done in a, in an, in an understanding of the entire picture. And so that's where I was trying to unpick, well, is it even possible or to try and uh, bring men on a journey that could help them um, not hold women back or to, to be able to see a, 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 with equal vision um, and want for everyone to, to prosper to their best of their ability. You know what I mean? Because it is a dangerous world. And like my dad, when he watched the film, he said, he said, yeah, but I'm even even our my my younger brother as a young boy. What to speak of? He said, if she was a girl, like uh, uh, going out at nighttime, you're terrified, you're scared. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. and, and 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 I think um, you know, if my sister is going out, younger sister go out. I'm also like, okay, hang on. You know, I I also feel that, and that's mm. okay. And I think I'm supposed to feel that because that's the mm. difference in biology of a man who is strong and can overpower. Uh, most women, some women can overpower some men or most men, but um, yeah. that is our biology. It's not that my fear uh, is putting a limitation on her or my feel, feel, fear is also unwarranted. You know, um, it is just biology and my acceptance of that is fine. That's good. It's okay. Be afraid. But what I am confident in this. My sister is equipped enough and smart enough, just as I am, and I, I was when I wanted to go out dancing, you know, and, and, and partying, um, to handle myself. Um, but also, I have the resources if I need to go out in a, in a group that evening, um, have phone numbers on hand, maybe take out a cousin or a brother, which we always did in India. We always did that in India. Mm. Always went out with. A male relative never just went out mm. just just us um, you know mm. and so did I do that oh because I have to and because I'm a woman and all that stuff no I did that because I can't control everybody else out there you know I don't know what they're gonna do and I'm just gonna be smart as a pure survival I want to go out with my girls too just to help us all out right so so you would you wouldn't have seen that as a limitation. So this is interesting, isn't it? Because I think um, some... I can I can yeah. I can add a little color there. Is it does it stink that I have to do that way? Yeah, it does. Um, mm. It's 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 like dude, that's unfair. That's just, that is a unfair kind of setup. Um, but am I? A victim because of it? Do I feel like, oh no, this is the end of the world because of it? For my privileged life, no, because I can call a brother or a cousin and be like, hey, could you, you know, I'd feel a little bit better if you came out. Why? Not because I'm a weak woman. It's because I know there's a lot of bad intentions out there, you know? And so if we had an equal society and it was set up in such a way they didn't have to do that and there are places in the world that it's safe to do that great and i'm looking forward to building that until i don't see that i'm not part of the change i'm everyday part of the change to make that happen i'm going to do things to protect myself it's unfortunate i still don't like it but i'm going to take mm. the measures to protect myself mm. yeah yeah 
And what do you think? Um, uh, what what do you feel? Do you feel that there's a real uh, there's obviously a great movement of of uh, the feminine rising around the world and more awareness of that, which is lovely, wonderful to see. But what do you think is the role or the kind of uh, challenges or the hopes? Um, what would you say to men as that happens? Um, I think in all cases, social justice, especially if you're looking at the U.S. I think what's going on is on both sides, blanket answers and blanket statements that everybody needs to is is beyond moronic to me. Like not one answer works for everybody in just your local city, forget country, right? Um, cancel this or, um, you know, all of these people need to be out of the country, both I'm speaking left and right here. It's like, I, I think growing up between India and the United States, I could see both sides. It's very particular to the United States to have these extreme trends, be it in diet or in social justice. I've always noticed it's like, no carbs. Okay, no carbs in the 90s, you know, and like, abolish the police, you know, like entirely, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, like, guys, come on, we're smarter, you know, we're American, like, let's there's something called conversation in the middle ground here <laughs> so um this is why i tell like when it comes to the, the 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 women's conversation what happens is because there's so much now strength in it i've noticed that a lot of times men very upset and angry men clump the whole everything from abolish the police to immigrants to everything <laughs> to women somehow or the other it's always the woman's fault so this whole thing of you know women's rise like carries everything and all the anger with it so there's that also happening by the way as usual <laughs> between women and dudes i don't know who gets it the most you know like all the time but i'm sorry but it's just like over and over again so what I'm trying to say to men is, hey, um, yeah. let's have a conversation because there are a lot of women like me that don't think you're bad. <laughs> and we don't think that all white men are bad people. You know, like, let's just step back for a second. What we're asking for is a partnership and let help us strengthen that narrative, you know, a little bit more than, than this conflict of, yeah, because that, that, that doesn't get us anywhere. All we've replaced is one enemy for another and one issue with another. It's just Clashing a replacement heads, theory yeah. going on here. There's no progress. It's just a lot of noise on social media. Sometimes, sometimes there's a lot of good progress, but maybe this is what's needed right now to get the middle ground going. Yeah. But I'm very much already at the middle ground. I think it's our lazy brain wants to just work in binary, you know? Um, so is it in, is it out, is it good, is it bad, is it right, is it wrong? And um, I found it quite fascinating, you know, releasing the film recently and having, doing a lot of interviews and getting feedback, you know, from, I guess you could broadly say the liberals and the conservatives. Um, and having to also like understand the conservatives better, like you said, that their fear is not unfounded and that there's a, a good reason sometimes yeah. to be afraid. But that doesn't mean that I necessarily agree with their solution to the fear. You know, just keep the girls inside, for example, or whatever. 
Um, but e equally, um, I found it quite fascinating how sometimes the arguments from the conservatives they'll use the most extreme possible outcome that could ever you could imagine. So like, for example, <laughs> oh, if we educate girls, they're all going to be having abortions, having sex with everybody. They're going to be doing yeah. this, that, you know, and you're like, no, like maybe a teeny percentage will, but most people are not going to do that. You know what I mean? And I just find it fascinating how that kind of polarizing happens. Um, so I agree with you. I think the, 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 the way forward is dialogue. Um, and I guess understanding, you know? Yes, it is. And, and you know, your, your question earlier, how do we bring in men? And, and it is this, is this idea of trying to, you know, empower the whole community very much. You know, I stand for that. And that's been something I've been talking about for a long time. Um, but it's so nuanced. Each one of the, the fathers in your film alone had so many different layers to their worry, their concerns, their issues, their lives, their means of making, you know, Roti, putting roti on the table for their family. It's not a, here's a formula. It's also actually very insulting. And I find that whenever there's anybody, a group of people that often come from privilege to want to solve the problems of the underprivileged, they have this formula. All you just yeah. need is this or that. It's like, were you given a formula? You know, it, 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 that's, it's, 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 it's rude. It's demeaning. These are people with a sense of reality and hopes and dreams and fears that you might not be agreeing with the outcome of some of their actions or their decisions, but there are people at the end of the day that need a very subjective understanding. And you have a toolbox, so pick from your toolbox. Okay, sir. Let's have a conversation on this, this. Okay, not this. All right, let's have how about, how about a little bit of this. All right, let's begin, right? Yeah. There is a way to have an open mind uh, when communicating with with anybody. And, and you have to have that when you're trying to include men and try not to scare them off, you know, with big, scary jargon and ideas that are going to freak them out and hold on tighter to their views and fears. Yeah, because that's unfortunately what can happen. What do you think about this? Sometimes I've heard this um, uh, dialogue that um, why should we um, acknowledge or appreciate men, you know, for doing the right thing or for being more more considerate or more thoughtful or whatever? That's just standard. Like that should be the way it is. It's 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 not really like amazing. <laughs> um, which on kind of one level, I kind of get that. I get that. Yeah. I do get that. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, a lot of men um, are are unaware, number one, of a lot of this. And then they're just kind of, and to try to try and learn about it or to get their head around it, uh, it could be scary. And like then to be sort of, so what, how, where do you feel, uh, what, what's the balance between encouraging but not um, pandering, if you like? Yeah, I think it's so tough because there's not one single answer. In some cases, you have to say, good job, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're really proven how much smarter women are to men. But we got to celebrate you right now because you make a good example, right? And, and sometimes that's needed. Other times, it is stupid. Like when you expect the president 
of the United States to wear a mask. That is an example of just doing your day, not even your duty, just, you know, being a responsible human being. Um, when there's that much adulation and celebration around the president wearing a mask, you know, the former president wearing a mask, that's where it's like, that's really stupid. So it's a matter of where we have expectations of a person, right, based on where they are. Who are we to decide the expectations and judge, right? That's another part of the, the, the equation here. I, I do feel, though, there are good times to celebrate very exceptional examples and good examples. So, A, men are not feeling hurt as, as like we are the bad guys here when there are so many good guys. So many good guys that that are getting thrown out with the baby in the bathwater, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, let's talk about them and let them be examples for other people, right? Sorry, for specifically other men. So I, I think it's um, not as black and white. I think there is a need for it. Um, there are times where it's not needed, though, like the one I mentioned. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not sure exactly where I stand. Um, Right now, if I can be very candid, I have a lot of diverse friends, you know, from a variety of different backgrounds. I have colleagues that are very diverse. Um, you know, I'm somebody who's traveled the world several times over, and there have been so many good white men in my life that still support me, encourage are that are not racist by any means, right? And I am sometimes concerned about them because of how sad sometimes they feel um, for not being recognized now that they, they didn't even realize that they needed to be recognized for being a not racist white man or, you know, young adult. And we've come to a point where it's like, oh, well, I guess now we have to sit and call out every one of the good guys, right? I, I, I'm not sure, but I definitely feel something is so off about that. And I feel their concern, you know, I feel their pain. And they've asked me, did I ever say anything to you? Was I ever, you know, which is great, which is which is nice to introspect, um, but they, I can hear that kind of pain in their voice. Like, why am I being held as the devil here? What did I do? You know? Mm. Um, so this, again, these blanket statements and these blanket um, uh, ways to dismiss people uh, without really giving them a chance, you know, thinking that, mm. you know, that they were also good people. It's, it, it's painful for it's, me to watch that also. Yeah, it's categorizing, isn't it? Like, like the thing is, is that for me, I'm almost the most interested in the people, not the people who are, whether self-professed or someone else calls them the good guys uh, or, you know, the bad guys, but the people who, which I would say are probably the majority, the people who maybe are, well, who are not perfect, for sure, like 100% not perfect, and maybe they've said stupid things, or maybe they're, they said that, but it, but it isn't ill-meaning, and they actually want, well, to get them to the point where they would be want to learn. Like, that, I feel, is where the most change can be made, because the people who are firmly the bad guys, or firmly the good guys, are already fixed, right? 
It's the ones in yeah. the middle who are like, well, I, I, I kind of don't really know that much about this, but like, I'm willing to learn, you know? Like, and, and that's my issue is when you throw people that are really uh, people that we need to feel encouraged and to, you're doing the right thing, hang in there, you know, just get over the finish line a little bit and come on the, the light side or the dark side, you know, well, I know the good side, right? Like yeah. what we understand, I think. Um, we, we can't throw them out. You can't be discouraging them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you you want them to to feel good about themselves, and we need them to help. That there's room for there's room for growth, right? There, there's, yeah. Um. Yeah, I think you can, otherwise you're dismissing people before giving them a chance, I suppose. Exactly, and the thing is, this purity tests and these kind of, mm. if we're going to talk about this cancel culture and it's, 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 it's insanity at a point. I mm. think, I think the idea uh, and the mechanism of everybody coming together, that activation to you know, make things happen and do right is, is correct. But if we, if we look at, you know, communist governments and how you say, thank you for correcting me and, I'm so sorry, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's like, you know, Putin asks some of these scripts that people are reading, you know, when they have to now go through their retraining and, um, and understanding. And some of that's a little bit or deeply concerning to me, you know, yeah. that the other stat to remember is that 10% of Twitter users are the ones that are doing the talking. Yeah. So we're talking about moderates who people who want to have conversation, understand, and ex- ex- I get it. I get why you love Trump. I see why you want cancel culture to succeed. I see why you want to abolish the police. There are more of us out there willing to ready to talk and hear all sides and be moderates than what social media and the media at large are telling you. Yeah. So we're just perpetuating this false narrative that there's these very big extremes and there's nobody in the middle no there's a bunch of us in the middle we just don't happen to be as heard because algorithms are not feeding you our nice neutral even keel happy voice yeah it's not it's, yeah it's interesting um yeah i i um i'd love to um just ask you a question i i was reading um you know, you you on an article I read. You know, you you did this lovely exercise at your birthday a couple of years ago. You know, ask everyone to say a word that summed you up. Um, and you know, there was energetic, dis- disciplined, passionate, exuberant, um, all of which you know we can see uh, from you today. But then there was another one that really was uh, powerful. So you asked your sister the same thing the night na- the night before, and she said laptop. Yeah. <laughs> And I just wonder if you could share a little with us. Um, you know, you've been on this journey. You went into this uh, tennis career, which was uber focused, single minded, I suppose, all about achieve, achieve, achieve. You kind of went through this transition where you broadened out and you found deeper satisfaction in still driving the passion, but helping other people, trying to make an impact uh, on a much broader level outside yourself. How do you now balance, you're married now as well, how do you balance that sort of deeper sense of purpose with 
what still seems like potentially an insatiable drive? Like, where's the balance? I think the deeper sense of purpose is the drive. <laughs> I think, I think um, um, but what's been happening of late is that the deeper sense of purpose doesn't necessarily have to see a finished product that is so grand and the best in the world and number one and gonna change everything, right? Not that I, I don't want to do that, of course I do, but it doesn't have to be my identity. It doesn't have to be um, the only way. It doesn't have to be the thing that scratches that itch, right? It's a part of it. It's a byproduct. If it happens, amazing. Set it up for that level of success. But it's not the only way to change somebody's life, right? Oh, you gotta be number one. You can just play tennis and have fun. You don't even have to play a match. <laughs> you just hit the ball around on the court and go home. You don't have to go win the U.S. Open to say you love tennis. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So that has been my growth lately. I think a large part of that has been, you know, um, having such an influence, uh, having a Divyanch uh, being such an influence in my life and the way he does things so differently. Um, and I think some of it comes with age, you know, just kind of, oh, get it. Mm. You know, like there is a time to go and flick on that big drive, go and be number one in the world. And there's a time to be like, hey, let's get the day-to-day -day things done. And that feels good too, you know? Yeah. So that, that's a good question because that's kind of where I'm at in my life right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's your, what's your reflection you know, looking back, uh, it was really interesting earlier when you mentioned it, that the the interplay between a, a father or a parent or both parents who really believe and instill in you that belief that you can do anything and your capacity or ability uh, doesn't have a cap. And maybe the signal or the pressure that Therefore, because it's all of that, that you kind of have to do it. So it's just, I wonder in this, in that sentence, it could almost be, you can do anything that you want to do. Does that still leave you with figuring out what it is you want to do? Or does the, the signal almost come with the message that you should yeah. do? You know, yeah. so just... I mean, I mean, you see me, <laughs> I grew up tiger parents, so it, there was no... Anything you want to do, if you choose to do it. That second part, if you choose to do it, that was for the American kids. <laughs> that wasn't, no, I didn't get that if you choose to and what would you like to. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> Here's dinner. <laughs> Set your alarm for your 5 a.m. wake up, you know, because we got training. You know, it wasn't. <laughs> no, that, that level of choice is still Indian, you know, at the end of the day. What parents have set for you um, their vision for you was very much a part now there has been growth since then um, for my parents and and especially my father and realizing oh okay <laughs> there are multiple expressions beyond tennis you know um and he, he and my older sister pushed up against that really well I mean it was hard on her because all of us four out of five we were like tennis okay let's go um but 
for her, she's like, no, this is silly. I don't want to just do this. I want to get into academia. I want to be a lawyer. And my dad was like, go be the best lawyer in the world then. Let's go. You know, <laughs> There was a moment of why not? Oh my gosh. You know, like everybody's doing this. Why are you being the one that's not right? And she didn't care. And I have a ton of respect for my sister because on some level, I'm sure she did. And, and she was the odd one out of the five. So we're talking about that micro alienation. I mean, the alienation and empowerment. There's a micro version of that within the family, you know? So she set a good path for even my youngest sister, you know, um, who's like, I don't want to go into play professional tennis. And it's not my end all and be all experience at Brown to be playing, you know, Ivy, Ivy League. I want to do other things here too. So it's a very good example she said. Uh, so I, 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 the choice was, uh, the choice element uh, you didn't really come into our childhood, you know, until a little bit later into our young adultness. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? it? <laughs> yeah. It's funny, isn't it? We, you know, we, we can look back and it's like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because uh, it's obviously easy and important to see the wonderful effects of that. But I'm sure, I mean, I've done it. I'm sure you've done it at times, you know, There'll be periods where we will look back, whether it's coaches or mentors or parents or whatever, and kind of go, God, that really, that hurt me. Or that, you know, that was, maybe that wasn't the best thing or whatever. So I haven't done it yet, but it's something that I'm thinking on that I heard someone else say is it's important to go back to those bits where you really have a, a wound or something and figure out what is the lesson because then it can you can hold it as a memory that has something valuable. Whereas when you're in that in-between phase and you're just kind of feeling like, like I don't know, then it's, it's, it's kind of a bit hard. Yeah, it, 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 you're right, definitely right. Um, and especially trying to go back into the past and the what ifs, you know, what if I was a dancer instead? You know, what if I was, um, I wonder what I'd be like if I, you know, just studied more and, you know, read more instead of spending that many hours on the court. I, of course, we have those, and I think those are fun. I think what gives me some kind of solace or is, is you know, the idea of multi multiverses and multiple realities, and maybe there is a Chicago out there, like, dancing, you know, for her profession. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, the, the, I think the beauty of, of, of uh, my Vedic heritage is, is understanding that um, you only make matter what you want to matter, you know, what you want to matter. Um, mm. Because all of this, we're gone. You know, we're here for such a short amount of time and these particular sleeves or shells of our bodies with these particular abilities and these perspectives and yeah. there's no point in being in the past or in the future. It's just the whole point is to be in the present, right? And, and to work towards yeah. that. Because it really it's not really going to matter. <laughs> it's, no, no. it's have fun while you can with whatever you can, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, it's uh, sharing that with you, that kind of um, Vedic understanding, a bigger picture of, of life is a wonderful backdrop, isn't it? Because when you, my mentor used to say, we've lost sight of the great because we're so absorbed in the small. And it's like, you know, there's a time, like you say, to be, well, always to be absorbed in the moment. But sometimes you got to really zoom out and just see that huge 
vastness of it all to put things in perspective, right? Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, I think the, the, the mind-soul function, um, and I think that's the, really, if you want to talk about learning with tennis, I think that is the learning because really the ultimate goal for me, Ravenel, is the spiritual attainment. That is um, something that I have chosen, even though it is a part of my identity and heritage and ethnicity and what have you, but it is something that I have chosen um, because there really is no concept of greatness or anything like that. I mean, or achievement or anything. It's just all nothingness and everythingness at the same time. But what tennis has taught me is the ability to focus the mind, to not be a slave of the mind, but to be the master of the mind. Uh, and so, as I understand, the sole function of the mind um, is to protect the body, sorry, but to, but be, to um, be able to absorb itself in the moment such that higher consciousness can watch. That is yes. the point, right? So you can effectively say, higher consciousness, say, mind, do your thing, just be right here in this exact moment and let us observe, right? Mm -hmm. Like let consciousness observe itself because you can effectively yeah. putting the mind in off mode. Be like, oh, go ahead, yeah, yeah. Go, play with toys. go play with your toys here and just be in the moment here and have fun mm -hmm. and just focus on your breath, <laughs> you know, yeah. shut off. So, our consciousness can come through and, and be reflective of itself. And I think mm. that is, if we can attain that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd be yeah. in a very good spot. We'd be having a very different conversation, Ravenel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We ended up um, on the spirituality, which is interesting because I guess in, in, in many ways, that's where we would hope to end up, isn't it? We come in from this magic portal from a, a, a side that we can't see and we, and we go, we go back. So uh, those yeah. are the. It, it is, it is another realm that's important that um, to to consider. And I guess that's the ultimate uh, evolving door, yeah. isn't it? Exactly. That's what I wanted to bring it up. And we're talking all the way from, you know, karma and rajasic abilities to you know now to getting and moving into the sattvic. If we're even going into sorry, we mean a lot of the Sanskrit and um, yeah, Vedic terminology here, but that is the the evolving door I can see next. It's, it's hopefully the, the final one. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, it's, um, yeah, well, um, I'm looking forward to coming and seeing you at some point you've moved to Portland. We can do some meditation or some yeah. walks and some chanting and stuff together. That'd be nice. Great. Um, so I have, um, the way I finish all the interviews, I have uh, the six kind of big pillars of life. I'm just going to say okay. one word, and I'd just like you to say a couple of sentences on each one as to where you're at with it. What's your understanding of it? Um, sure. Family. Gratitude, strength, foundation. Uh, it, tremendous emotion. I mean, your eyes are welling up in tears again. I, mean, I, I got so emotional talking about my family, so... <laughs> Yeah, you did it again, Ravenel, your fault. <laughs> those, those, those words. 
Beautiful. Yeah. And actually, as a parent, you know, if I just put, if you were, if I think of myself, I'm a parent, uh, I've got two boys. And if, if my boys were to say those three words, thinking about family when they're older, I'd be very, very happy. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> those are great. Um, Knowing you I, I believe they will. <laughs> hopefully. Um, health. Important. It's like, I would even say priority number one. And it's just, um, I'm, I'm including mental, emotional, physical health into all of that. It is, I mean, look at the world right now, scrambling to keep everybody healthy, right? Um, it is priority number one. It is, if you're not healthy, you can't do anything after that. Like anything. It's very difficult. I mean, I get very dramatic if I have a cold. Oh, you know, I get very like, oh no. So I, I, it's priority number one, staying healthy. I try to keep myself as fit as possible. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Um, money. Means to um, end. Um, A tool, uh, a resource, uh, just be numbers in a bank at a point, you know? <laughs> it's just, so, um, an opportunity to serve, you know, a means to serve, to be able to serve. Nice. Um, love. Connection. Connected with, connected to. Uh, oneness. Um, innate definition of, of humanity. Actually, I think it is the innate definition of humanity. Mm. Yeah. Friends. Uh, truthful company. <laughs> truthful company. Yeah. Um, uh, lovely when they stick around. Um, respected when they come and go as they need to yeah <laughs> that's a tough one isn't it um, it's a tough one because i think especially with my upbringing and moving around so much and tennis and things like that it, you know to have that one best friend or that three or four gang you didn't have that i had all my sisters um that's why i think that truthful company where they teach you those lessons are there for you when you really need them. You know, you can count on those couple ones or two if you really need to. But I'm very okay with that come and go as you want in, in and out of my life. I think that's kind of how I, I am. <laughs> um, but I'm always there. I'm always there if you need anything, you know? So on standby always. Yeah. I wonder. Nice. I wonder if I need to be a better friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Um, but yeah, maybe something I'll leave you with to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, last one. Um, creativity or expression, self-expression. Uh, the first step into the final evolving door. Uh, creativity is the, I think, the expression of intuitive intuition. Uh, you can see so many creative artists such as yourself, Ravnall, um, expressing themselves um, and finding oneness in the, both the experience and the outcome. I mean, you, you, you heard music that has been like, okay, this is transcendental. This person was purely channeling uh, while you're riffing or in this art expression you see a poet and you just know they were channeling something from upstairs and I mean you, you feel that like you feel the effects of, of their connection to the universe um, it, 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 I think it's like it's what makes us human and as much as AI and robots are trying to find that, a very large part of me says, please don't, because that is our protective mechanism and our what will distinctly make us human is our 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 creative our intuition which is expressed as creativity. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's because the beauty of uh, I think about creativity is is that it's both exploration and there's also like a, an outcome as well so there's a sort of a there's a sense of not knowing and knowing within the process if you like and it's it's just moments you know so the beauty of it is is that you you can have those little moments of sort of arriving but then you're off again <laughs> yeah you know? yeah i mean i think that's and you can almost see that you know you can see that in an athlete getting into the zone and they take you they take you on that meditative high when you're when you're jamming with them or you're just watching them. You know, you listen to a Pandit Jasraj, like he's in his meditative practice and he 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 hits that what I don't know what they call a halo effect. I don't know what they call it, but he's there and you get to be there with him while watching him in this musical expression. We get a, you get a a taste of of higher consciousness through art, and it's like phenomenal. I think it's the I think it's it's if I could live forever, it would be the thing that I'd stick around for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's always it's always uh, it's it's true. It's one thing that is um, it's true in science as well, even mathematics. It's great when there the boundaries are expanding, isn't it? Where there's discoveries and kind of um th there's a very magical feeling in that isn't there sort of of oh, yeah. of, of, of um i think yeah. i mean i've been around i mean i feel so comfortable speaking with you just you know, given your background and our you know friendship for so many years it's like you know when you when you leave this body and you're done it's like the way you experience a consciousness in this body is through creativity is that is the tap into intuition right um, and so it's like when you leave this body, when I'm Chika's done, as you know her, so it's the one thing that I'm going to miss experiencing is being able to meet 
consciousness from this side up, you know? Because that's our one path in. That is like our one way in. And it's like to see everybody in their expression doing it and finding their way through it and trying to connect. It's like, this is what makes life so beautiful, you know, and just so worth living. You get to see this art and people's expression and getting into the oneness of all of us. I I find that the I find that the whole fun of living, you know. Yeah, and we're you're you're absolutely right. We're very blessed if we have that um, in our lives, right? Because yes. um, so, like the the path of bhakti in particular is one where, like you say, you don't reject the skills and the gifts and the talents and the interests that you have, but you connect them through yeah. like an expression of service. And um, and and you're right. It doesn't mean we don't go through all the ups and downs and hardships of life, but somehow right. or other that. Uh, gives it all a, a sort of a, a, a bigger perspective, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Great, Be beautiful so, conversation with you, Ravinal. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I always love chatting to you. Um, I remember we met in India when we were filming yeah. and we've met in America and all these different places. So I look forward to, yeah. to speaking to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Ravinal. Thank you for your time. So what a wonderful conversation with Shika. She's amazing, you know, someone with a a real passion for life. And she mentioned that they're kind of a bouncy, kind of happy. She still has that beautiful childlike kind of spirit to her, which I which I find wonderful. And, you know, now expressing, you know, moving from tennis into impact and TV and film, lots of things that I'm also super interested in. So it was a, a really great conversation. If there's anything in the conversation that you enjoyed, please, you know, let us know um, on social media. Sheikha's still here. I'm going to actually ask her, what's your social media handle, Sheikha? Sure. I'm actually um, the nerdy social media person. I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> so okay, okay. Um, that's, where, that's where I'm like the most accessible uh, and fastest. Okay. I'm just, yeah, okay. that's that's Sheikha, fine. Yeah. Sheikha Uberoy Bajpal. Yeah. 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 Um so reach out reach out to Sheikha on, on LinkedIn or to me on social media and let us know what you enjoyed. Um and if you like the podcast, please give us a rating and look forward to seeing you in the next podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that and found some inspiration for it in your week this week. Uh, if you enjoyed any particular part or something stood out for you, please make sure to reach out and tag Sheikha and me uh, in your stories, your posts. Um, it's so encouraging and interesting to hear what lands with you, what you're finding useful and uh, what you um, are enjoying. So listen, I'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, have a really fantastic week. <laughs>